Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast, USFL Monday edition. I'm your host, Ian Harditz. Hope you guys had a great draft weekend and maybe caught some live football as well. Yes, I was sadistic enough to sit through just about every single one of these games in the final game on Sunday night. I did miss the first half, had to catch up on the highlights. Love my fiance. I'm not so sure she would love me if I had to, you know, tie off every single Saturday, Sunday afternoon for this league. But I try my best and believe you me caught up we've analyzed the stats analyzed the film and we are now ready to go so another fun week of action people and you know you can go on twitter and complain about it but it's football it's football i hate people that complain about football whether it's a shitty thursday night game or a usfl game on saturday afternoon if you don't have anything nice to say what are you saying it at all for so for all of you that do appreciate the usfl i appreciate you And let's break down what happened, starting with the Tampa Bay Bandits taking down the Houston Gamblers 27-26. Tight one here. You know, Jordan Tiamu really finally saw him put his best foot forward. Could have been a much bigger game for him. Look, we did see him out the gate. 64-yard touchdown to Derek Dillon. Basically, just a little curl that Dylan then, you know, broke loose and got into open field, made some guys miss and took to the house. But truly from Tiamu, it was a good game overall. He had a 50-yard touchdown uh, also to Dylan that got nullified on a pretty iffy illegal man downfield penalty. He threw a short potential touchdown to Rashard Davis, who proceeded to fumble out the back of the end zone. And don't give me any crap about that rule. Hold on the freaking ball. The offense gets every break as it is. You can't hold the ball through the end zone. Like, that's the most sacred area of the field. And if you fumble through it, what? You think the offense should just get the ball back at the one-yard line? Absolutely ridiculous. Like, yeah, it is different from fumbling on the sideline. It's the freaking end zone. It's the promised land, the one spot in this world where the defense is trying to protect. And you you have the audacity to fumble the ball through it and just want it back? No, it's the defense's ball. And I hate the backlash to that rule. With that said, though, that was the second opportunity that Tiamu had for a touchdown. And then same drive as one of these, but he also hit his tight end to Quan Hampton right in the chest drop. So Tiamu, you know, you look at his stats, had about 250 passing yards, just one touchdown. Easily could have been three scores, and he managed to pitch in a rushing score later. So saw Tiamu for the whole time this one. No Brady White, luckily. Hopefully we see these bandits, you know, get back to looking like the team that we thought they were going to be entering the year. Also want to note for the Houston Gamblers, had a full game's worth of Clayton Thorson with Kenji Bob her out with a hand injury one of the wildest touchdowns you're going to see in any form of football happen though so we had a nice throw one of the best throws of the year from Clayton Thorson down the seam to uh, Anthony Ratliff Williams but Ratliff catches it tucks it and then gets the ball punched out peanut punched out to the extent where it basically takes four hops dribbles Ratliff keeps running into the end zone and the ball popped right back into his hands for this 57 yard touchdown so just you know epitome of ball taking the right bounce for him hey it goes in the stat sheet as a long touchdown so we'll take that a touchdown is a touchdown is a touchdown One of the best players in this game, though, was running back Mark Thompson, someone that we highlighted in our preview episode as a running back, really dominating his backfield. Boy, did he ever in this one. The man, 6'2", 235 pounds, didn't stop him from taking one 55 yards to the house, broke four tackles along the way. Overall, on the week, 10 forced missed tackles. On the season, Mark Thompson is the USFL's overall RB1 rushing yards. And if you take his yards after contact, which is 253, that's more than any other running back or player has just rushing yards. So we've seen this happen with Derrick Henry and Nick Chubb a couple times in the NFL. Uh, Mark Thompson is basically the USFL version of those freaks. 
That about wraps up the main scorings. Offensive players of the game mentioned Jordan, Jordan Tiamu and also wide receiver Derek Dillon. Only player on the week with triple-digit receiving yards. Also got to give a shout-out to Gamblers running back Mark Thompson again. Defensive players of the game, Bandit Safety Anthony Siofi and interior defensive lineman Dalen Mack. Top two highest-graded players at their position on the week. Some quick fantasy football notes. Mentioned Tiamu taking every snap. In the backfield, we did see Juwan Washington actually work ahead of B.J. Emmons. But if my memory serves me correctly, Emmons did get a little bit banged up throughout this one. So more times than not, this should continue to be 50-50. John Franklin, Derek Dillon, and Rashard Davis were the top three wide receivers for the Bandits. But it really was Franklin and Dillon more than anything. While Dillon got the touchdown and got all those, you know, fantasy... Uh, and got all the fantasy points that we were looking for, Franklin did continue to get some of that, those Wildcat snaps. So the fact that Franklin is getting legit rushing usage on top of a full-time receiver role, he's someone that I think could bust out a little bit more in future weeks. And then we also saw, you know, just some spare usage from the other guys in the offense. On the gambler side of things, again, Mark Thompson, 67% snap rate, 24 carries and three targets. He's working well ahead of Dalen Dawkins, even on pass downs, which is fantastic to see. In the wide receiver room, Isaiah Zuber caught another touchdown. Uh, well done. I mean, he had a couple great catches in this one of the contested uh, variety. Zuber, Tyler Simmons, and Anthony Ratliff-Williams, top three wide receivers here. We also saw Tyler Paca out there. So, you know, credit to the gamblers for really embracing this four wide receiver offense because of that, the tight ends were involved at all and yeah pretty fun one here again Tiamu much better game than some of those old numbers uh point out and that's why I love watching all the USFL and NFL games because analytics the stats they're great but ultimately they should be telling you what your eyes see on the field and you know it's instances like this the drop passes you know the nullified touchdowns and even just instances of a receiver fumbling an inch away from the goal line uh you know again three potential touchdowns that you wouldn't actually know happened unless you sat down and watched the game Next up, game of the week, Saturday night, Birmingham Stallions took down New Orleans Breakers 23-13. Took a while for this one to get going. I mean, it wasn't a touchdown until about the midway point of the second quarter. 47-yard touchdown from Jamar Smith to Marlon Williams. Basically, just a screen, though. This was not a good game from Jamar Smith. He gave us some rushing yards, didn't kill you if you started him in fantasy, but just didn't see his usual accuracy. I and mean, we got a nice touchdown later to Victor Bolden. Cool little slot fade where they literally, the play before, like they tried the same exact route. Bolden, one-on-one, -on -one, slot fade, almost caught it. They just flipped it and ran it the next play, and they scored. So any, any of us that have played Madden, you know, for any extended period in our life know that feeling. But that was basically it for the Birmingham Stallions on offense. I mean, just didn't get a ton going. Again, credit to Victor Bolden. He probably had the best game of the group on the offense uh, for that side of the ball. The real star of the game, though, was Johnny Dixon for the New Orleans Breakers. Two more touchdowns. He's now tied for first in receiving touchdowns. He's outright first in receiving yards and he's second in receptions on the season. So Johnny Dixon, the former Ohio State starting wide receiver, really emerging as one of the better options in the USFL. And that was about it, guys. Not the best game a Scooby Wright played fantastic, 17 tackles in this one, uh, and honestly should have had a pick. I mean, the second touchdown to Johnny Dixon went right in between Scooby Wright's hands. So Kyle Sloter was our fade of the week, and he ended up playing every snap, played through, you know, the groin, the wrist, and the shoulder injury that he's been on the injury report with. Uh, but at the same time, did take his first sack of the season. That Birmingham pass rush was looking awfully legit out there and just didn't, you know, seem to be fully comfortable throughout the game. So it did work out with uh, Kyle fade. Kyle Sloter just because, again, when you're facing this sort of pass rush and not at 100%, uh, yeah, 
that's just not the situation that I'm going to be going after in Fantasyland. Mentioned Johnny Dixon, definitely the player of the game here. And on defense, Stallings linebacker Scooby Wright. Again, tough to not be player of the game with 17 freaking tackles. Also, I'll give a shout out to Breakers, Edge Defenders, Henry St. Amar and Sharif Miller. Uh, top two highest graded defenders on the week combined for nine pressures and a sack in this one. Quick fantasy football notes here for the Stallions. Again, Jamar Smith took every single snap. Alex Magoo, though, I believe was listed as probable, maybe questionable. He's getting close to returning. This was not the sort of performance that I think is necessarily going to get Smith this same sort of drop back rate even once uh, we see Magoo back in the picture. So really keep an eye on these injury reports. I know we'll get to the fact that not all these injury reports are always accurate here in a couple minutes, but uh, with Jamar Smith, if Magoo is going to be back, would probably expect more of a two uh, quarterback system. A running back, CJ Maribel, really took a step forward in this one. 16 carries, six targets, dominant, league-high 76% snap rate. Tony Brooks-James in previous weeks have been working more side-by-side. Maybe this is a sign that CJ Maribel is going to be the undisputed lead back in Birmingham moving forward, but the one good thing Birmingham keeps doing for us is condensing this wide receiver rotation. Victor Bolden, 100% snaps. Marlon Williams, 93%. Osiris Mitchell, 84%. Bolden now leads the entire USFL in receptions on the year. Also, shout out to Kerry Angeline, 122 air yards for a tight end. He ran around 93% of the dropbacks. There's really only three tight ends at this point in the USFL that are worth a damn in fantasy. Thought it was going to be Cheyenne O'Grady, uh, you know, from the Bandits after that huge week one, but now he's splitting time. So, Kerry Angeline, um, Bug Howard and Sal Canella are really the only guys used enough in their offense to warrant fantasy consideration. On the breaker side of things, mentioned Kyle Sloter being out there for each and every snap despite playing through the pain. But when he is healthy and at least, you know, willing to try to play through uh, the, through the pain, he is one of the few quarterbacks in the USFL guaranteed for 100% snaps uh, on a weekly basis. Uh, I said 76% was actually the league high snap rate. I was wrong. It's actually 80% for running back Jordan Ellis, one of our top, you know, rated players going into last week. He didn't end up finding the end zone, but my God, I mean, 27 total carries and targets. Uh, TJ Logan's going to be out another week. We should once again expect Ellis to be leading the way. There is a little bit of concern about, you know, Larry Rose coming back in the picture. We saw the same thing with the Stars. Matt Colburn, his first game back from injury, wasn't super involved. So I'm not saying Ellis would be an 80% guy each and every week without Logan, but he should be at a minimum the pretty uh, clearly established lead back. At wide receiver, worked out for us, uh, you know, fading Jonathan Adams a week after. He just looks so good, uh, but he is the clear-cut number one in this offense on a route basis, 98%. Last week, though, at least, Sean Poindexter and Johnny Dixon were the two guys. Hey, quiet. Dogs are getting hyped up. USFL season is in the air. Sean Poindexter, nine targets. Johnny Dixon, 10 targets. They end up leading the way. But any given week between Adams, Poindexter, and Dixon, those are your top three guys to be targeting in New Orleans. Also mentioned Sal Canella as one of the top three tight ends. Eight targets himself, 91 air yards, and a 94% route rate. Again, win is a win. Not the best performance for uh, Jamar Smith, though. I do think we're going to see him maybe take a little step back in fantasy land once McGue is healthy enough to go. Michigan Panthers dominated the Pittsburgh Maulers. This one was surprising, man. I just didn't, we hadn't seen anything from Michigan to really think they had this performance in them. Credit to them for getting it done. 24 nothing wasn't really all that close. You know, started off the game with a Paxton Lynch start out of, not nowhere. Shea Patterson certainly hadn't earned the job, but also a situation where we just didn't know if Lynch was ever going to get that chance. He did. And, you know, we mocked Jason Garrett a lot in week one for the Josh Allen comp. 
rightfully so. Never going to give him that comp. Lynch did make a couple nice plays on the ground, notably ran a nice little inverted veer, 20-yard gain on third and 10 before they were able to cap it off with a short Stevie Scott touchdown. And then Michigan, apparently just gambling now, decided to go for two all throughout the game. Lynch bullied his way in for one of them. Later, they were able to uh, get the ball on the Pittsburgh five-yard line after a muff punt. This time, Cameron Scarlett converted the two-point conversion. Paxton Lynch converted from one yard out. Then Lynch got hurt, though. His ankle was messed up. We had the mic on the sideline where he was just telling Jeff Fisher like he just did not trust himself to be able to cut on it. There was a sack he took where it just seemed to give out on him. So keep an eye on that. It will be the Shea Patterson show if Lynch is unable to start in week four. You would think that Lynch will be out there though if he is healthy enough to go. Anyway, just a pretty mundane game here. Again, no points for the Maulers. It was the first time a USFL team got shut out all year. Finally, in the fourth quarter, Reggie Corbin scored from four yards out before Patterson added another two-point conversion to make it 24-0. Yes, Reggie Corbin, the man that we were told from the USFL freaking Twitter account, was on the inactive list, wound up playing, and wound up going for 120 yards. The dude ripped off like a 65-yard run on the last drive of the game when nobody even cared anymore. Ended up, you know, just being one of the complete difference makers on the slate. So I was trying to find, uh, you know, what his ownership was at, but I couldn't find a lineup that had the guy. This is a letdown USFL, and this is the one thing I think it's fair to kind of complain about from the weekend. Like, I... Us DFS grinders and the ones actually digging through this, like we are the ones trying to give some uh, clarity and just to this league and try to hype it up and stuff. And if we can't even get accurate injury reports, it's going to hurt, uh, you know, the overall interest in the product. So please, guys, just not asking much. I don't need a daily practice report even, but don't tell us someone's inactive and then have them go out there and work as the freaking lead running back. Is that too much to ask? I really don't think it is. Players of the game, got to be Reggie Corbin. I mean, again, going for 133 yards while not even being active, uh, just truly impressive. He was good out there, though, you know, all jokes aside. Three explosive runs and forced four missed tackles along the way. And defensive players of the game, look, it's just the entire Panthers defense. The Maulers, 228 total yards on 53 plays, only had one turnover. I mean, this was just a dominant effort from start to finish. Credit to everybody involved. With some of the fancy stuff, I mentioned the Paxton Lynch injury led the way for Shea Patterson, but man, this was just Jeff Fisher football, baby. 72 total passing yards in this one for the Panthers, still won by 24. Reggie Corbin, Stevie Scott, Cameron Scarlett, three-headed committee. I'm assuming Corbin like is going to probably be a chalkier running back after this performance, and he looked good, but we want to stay away from these three-back committees when all these guys are healthy in Michigan. That's exactly what they're utilizing. Lance Lenore, we went back to him after last week. He still didn't give us that big of numbers, but my God, to do his first team all air, air yards, 125, I believe that's the most on the week. Dominant 96% route rate. Devin Ross, the only other really pass catcher worth a damn in Michigan at this point. And an offense that continues to use three tight ends. Why, 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 why would you consistently do that? Whatever, I guess you won. Disappointing on the Maulers was that Josh Love, who really had been playing as one of the better USFO quarterbacks in the first two weeks, went back to a platoon with Kyle Luletta, just seemed to kind of break the rhythm of either guy involved. So also got Mikey Daniel, a fullback, playing 42% snaps. That's not helping the tight ends. It's not helping the running backs either. But we did see Madri London take a short lead over Garrett Groshek. This has gone back and forth a little bit. I anticipate it continuing to do so. Um, it reminds me a little bit of what we were talking about earlier with uh, Jawan Washington and uh, B.J. Emmons over for Tampa Bay. It's just a 50-50 committee. It might go up 5 or 10% either way during any given week. 
wide receiver rooms, Trey Walker, Brandon Mack, and Delvin Hardaway. Easy top three wide receivers for the Pittsburgh Maulers. And Hunter Thedford playing nearly every snap at tight end, just a 69% route participation rate. Nice, but also not that nice. Final thoughts, again, shout out to the fighting Jeff Fishers for getting that W with just 72 passing yards. Uh, I do think that this game, more than anything, it was an indictment on the Pittsburgh Maulers maybe not being as good as they were. Uh, hey, you know, Jeff Fisher, say what you want about the man. He knows how to claw his way back to 500. Panthers are on pace to do just that sooner rather than later. Last game of the week, New Jersey Generals took down the Philadelphia Stars 24-16. to Brian Scott got going early. Bug Howard, 42-yard touchdown. Kind of a bullshit play. You know, I, I'm i on record plenty of times. I hate taking away a guy's big play. You know, Saquon Barkley busting 80-yard touchdown and the storyline as well. If you look at his other 13 carries, he only gained 20 yards. And it's like, no, doesn't work that way. A lesser player wouldn't have made that big play happen. We can't just take away the big plays. Just like we can't take away the shitty plays, but, you know, we got to consider the whole package. Now, there is an exception. And the one kind of example I've used was Bilal Powell. Jets takes a carry up the middle, basically trips over his own feet. Not a single defender touches him. He stands up and then goes like 75 yards to the freaking house. So every now and then there are these plays where the defense gives up and it is kind of bullshit. That is what we had going on here. So, you know, hey, heads up play by heads up play by Bug Howard, but he slid and caught the ball. Nobody touched him. He got up and ran the rest of the way. So, you know, not all 42 yard touchdowns are created equal when we actually watch and see what happens. Uh, yeah, it took a while again for uh, any anyone to find the end zone. Ended up being Darius Victor, basically the number one vulture in the USFL at this point. We've been behind Trey Williams because all the metrics tell us he's the number one back. The one problem is the goal line situation where he has to deal with not only Darius Victor, but also DeAndre Johnson. Ultimately, Trey Williams led the team in rush attempts and rushing yards, but he did not get any of their three scores on the ground. So you would like to see that reverse at some point right now, though. I mean, Darius Victor, basically like the James Conner of this league with, uh, you know, De DeAndre uh, Johnson almost working as a similar version of Kyler Murray. And of course, we have Chase Edmonds uh, being our Trey Williams in this uh, NFL USFL mix. Brian Scott, unfortunately, you know, he's coming in injured. He wasn't able to practice for a bit with a knee injury. Wasn't able to play for the entire second half. Led the case Cookus getting in there and looking solid. I, you know, I'm not saying Cookus is better than Brian Scott. Maybe he is, but this is not one of those situations where if Scott is not playing, then uh, I think we need to completely eliminate this offense. They're still going to be pass happy and Cookus kind of showed what it takes to extend the play, make some good throws out there and the finding a DeAndre Overton from six yards out. And again, nice extended play. I don't think Case Cookus is a complete liability out there. Final score of the game was a DeAndre Johnson, uh, just short rushing touchdown. Hey, it had some passes in there. I mean, DeAndre Johnson averaged like 16 yards per attempt in this one, but it's all based on his rushing threat. I mean, they had a completion to their tight end, Woody Brandom, that was like just an RPO and then like a dump off after all the defense committed to the run, and there was no one to stop Brandom. We had 21-yard screen to Williams, but guess what? In fantasy land, all these yards count equal, and it's a complaint that we see like Lamar Jackson and Jalen Hurts get. Like, oh, yeah, they're not really earning their passing yards in the same way. 
But they have that rushing threat. Defenses are forced to not defend them the same way. If they just try to play man coverage and turn their backs like they would against, you know, a pocket passer, these rushing quarterbacks will kill them for it. So it's just a piece of the puzzle. And it's something that I don't think we consider enough when talking about quarterbacks. But credit to DeAndre Johnson. Played the entire second half. It seems like he maybe is finally breaking out of this platoon alongside Luis Perez. Certainly seems like Johnson gives them the best chance to win. And for that reason, he was player of the game. 11 carries, 94 yards, and a touchdown. I mean, guys, 9.4 yards per carry and 6.2 yards per attempt. DeAndre Johnson out there doing the damn thing. Trey Williams and Darius Victor obviously completing the rushing attack. Defensive players of the game, Generals D-Lyman, Tyson Render, and Kalani Vakamialo combined for nine pressures in a sack. Great job by them. Quickly, some workload notes, and we will get out of here. Again, mentioned DeAndre Johnson was splitting things mostly with Luis Perez, honestly, through the first eight quarters of the season. Uh, in this one, the second half, though, he was the clear-cut league guy. Again, Trey Williams working ahead of Darius Victor, just not on the goal line when it matters most. And then our wide receiver, Alonzo Moore, Darius Shepard, the top two guys, but they just had two combined targets. I mean, this general's passing game at this point, probably best to stay away from, unless it's Cavante Turpin, another candidate along with uh, John Franklin for, you know, the USFL's Debo Samuel, who we're just going to call every wide receiver that ever gets a rush attempt at this point. But Turpin did have a team high five targets, also got those three additional carries. Probably not worth it, but the dude's shifty. And if there is going to be a wide receiver to target, might as well get the guy that's also moonlighting as a running back. With the stars, talked about Brian Scott's injury. That led to Case Cookus going out there doing his thing. Paul Terry dominated the workload in this one. Six carries and nine targets. This was with Darnell Holland out and Matt Colburn coming back from injury. So if I had to guess, Colburn wasn't healthy enough to be out there. So he just, you know, only touched the ball twice, played on 18% of the snaps, and it was the Paul Terry show. Assuming Darnell Holland's going to be back next week, uh, would expect a three running back committee led by Terry and Holland. Wide receiver room, Jordan Sewell, DeAndre Overton, clear-cut top two guys, Devin Gray, Maurice Alexander, and Chris Rowland, all banged up to various extents, just weren't as heavily involved. I mean, this is a flowing, this is free-flowing week-to-week. Maurice Alexander had two tutties, I believe, last week. He gets pushed down to the wide receiver four. Chris Rowland was their wide receiver one in week one in terms of just targets and production. He's now working as the wide receiver five coming off of injury. But the one thing we do like is Buck Howard out there talked about the little fluky nature of the touchdown either way though 76 percent route rate that's back-to-back weeks he has been a full-time player and the fact he was able to maintain this even with chris Rowland coming back in the picture makes you think that bug howard has a pretty established uh, role in this offense he's a slot receiver he is the Mike Jusicki of the USFL. Only 13 of his 99 snaps this year has Bug Howard actually lined up as an inline tight end. So the dude lines up as a wide receiver 87% of the time, but we still call him a tight end because at some point, Someone wrote a T and E next to his name as a position. It just, it just confuses me, everyone. Like, don't believe every damn thing you read. Haven't we learned that? Like, I want to question everything, most importantly, tight ends that actually play wide receiver. Because, like, if I don't do it, who the hell will? So that's going to wrap up this edition of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Appreciate you guys tuning in with me and uh, following along with the USFL. Again, it's not the NFL. It's not even Division One college football. Guess what's not being played right now? the NFL or Division I college football. So here's the hoping, you know, some of the teams get their injury report shit together, uh, but we'll be back watching on Saturdays and Sundays throughout the spring regardless. I'm Ian Hardis. Thanks again for tuning in. Until next time, take care, everybody.